Welcome to another edition of What the Cross Means to Me devotional program. This is your host, Rob Holt, coming to you from the KKXX Studios Life Radio. It is good to be with you as we contemplate fresh perspectives on the meaning of the cross. I am not a theologian, but have been a photographer for over 30 years. If a picture tells a thousand words, then yes, I guess you could say I preach to the glory of our Creator by capturing and sharing what the Creator has created. My mission is to share the gospel through my imagery, the spoken word, and the written word. This program fulfills the spoken part, and the imagery utilized for this devotional are of a singular cross on a lonely hill shot over a two-year period. The written word for this program is from a book I published about that cross collection. It matches 30 cross images with 30 original essays from a wide spectrum of Christian leaders sharing their insights on the cross. The book shares the same name as this program, What the Cross Means to Me. Each week we explore one of the cross images and ponder the wider meaning of the cross through the lens of Scripture. This week's devotional is inspired by the image entitled, The Burning. And why did I choose the name, The Burning? Well, it is going to be very hard to adequately explain this audibly, because this image is one of the most surreal images in the cross collection. The image was shot at night, not soon after sunset, but full on night. The cross had two trunks but leads to merge into one cross beam at the top. The effect is a result of me hand-holding the camera while using a long exposure technique and moving the camera to left to right, even if slightly. The long exposure created an ethereal glow to the background, especially in the lower right-hand side. When I say lower, it appears to be right below the cross, off to the right. The lights in that area had a number of amber-reddish lights clustered together, which come out as an area of fire or lava. The overall illusion comes out very surreal. But moreover, it comes across as a beacon of pardon, salvation, and deliverance above and from the lake of fire below. It is a great image that conveys hope of eternal life with God from the heat and anguish of hell's eternal fire. The best place for me to start this devotional is from the definition. Why? Because the application of this word is one that, not one that you might expect. According to our friends at Merriam-Webster, the burning is defined as to consume fuel and give off heat, light, gases, and fire. Or to undergo alteration by destruction by the action of fire or heat. Or to produce or undergo discomfort or pain, like from a sunburn or the the burning feeling of an infection, like a fever, or to become very angry or disgusted, or to yearn ardently. And this last one is where I'll be going with this devotional. From the perspective of feeling a particular emotion very strongly, or to be burning with desire or longing. Now, there are many times the word burning is used in the Bible. However, most all of these are in Leviticus. When Moses developed the law, 
and these references were regarding burning items after a plague, or in other words, used to clean and purge, and the other majority of the word is used when a priest would perform a burnt offering unto Jehovah, meant to, as the Bible says, to create a sweet-smelling incense to the Lord. The notable exception is when God appears to Moses in the burning bush. It says in Exodus 3.2 that the angel of the Lord appeared to Moses in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called out to him out of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, Here I am. And the Lord said, Do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. One thing that really jumps out to me is that this account is the first time that the word holy is used in regard to God. Verse 5. The intensity of his holiness is revealed in a way that it had never been before. Moses was so mystified by this encounter that he was inspired to write his famous hymn of victory. He made sure to touch on Jehovah's holiness. Quote, Who among the gods is like you, O Lord? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glory, working wonders? We find that in Exodus 15.11. I resonate with that verse as it is exactly how I felt night after night up on that hill, spending time in shooting the cross. So many times when I'd be there early and as the sky would just go off and I would be awed by the Creator's fleeting masterpiece. And in regards to the burning bush account, why did God reveal himself through a burning bush that faithful day? Well, when I connect the application of the word burning, it seems that Holiness is a purifying and cleansing effect, a clarifying effect. In my humble layman's interpretation, it was as if the intensity of God's holiness was forgiving and cleansing the past of Moses, a past that involved murder. So, maybe God was purifying Moses in preparation and sanctification of his ministry and his messianic mission to lead God's chosen people out of Egypt and over the Jordan River into the Promised Land. I heard it said, Holiness is not simply his righteousness, although that is a part of it, but also his otherness. It is the distinction between the Creator and the creature, the infinite distance between God's deity and our humanity. And it seems that God was about to use Moses because the Lord was concerned about the Hebrews, forced into slavery in Egypt. This is another first, in that it is the first time that Jehovah refers to the Jewish nation as his people. Of course, it intrigues me what happens next, which is that Moses fulfills a messianic role to the Hebrews, who were a full-on slave population in the nation of Egypt. A whole people group, estimated at around 2 million, were an entire slave population. Moses, being obedient, even though this was 40 years after he had left Egypt, became a conduit of God's judgment on Pharaoh and the people of Egypt. 
And out of all the plagues that God allowed on Egypt, the one that intrigues me the most is the judgment of the angel of death. This was the last and worst of all the plagues. This one was to take or kill the firstborn of the entire nation of Egypt. And not just humans, but even the firstborn of all the cattle were to die that night. However, God provided a way to save the lives of the firstborn of his chosen people. And God did so through a lamb. Well, not one lamb, but a lot of lambs. One, and not just any lamb, meaning the requirement was for it to be a spotless lamb, one without any blemish, and one lamb that was sacrificed. It had its blood drained, and then that blood was used for as many houses as possible. When that blood ran out, they sacrificed the next lamb, and so on. And the procedure was that they were to use a hyssop branch as a brush and paint the blood above the mantle and on the left and right trim of the door. If you can picture this in your mind and connect the dots, you'll see that the covering of blood was in the symbol of a cross. And keep that in mind when I tell you that when the death angel traveled through the land of Egypt, killing every firstborn, and when it came upon a house with a covering of blood in the shape of a cross, the death angel would pass over that house. Now, if you have not heard about this until now, then you now know the origin of the Jewish holiday, the Passover. And you also know the plan of God for the entire human race. I've often wondered, was it really a coincidence that Jesus died on the cross during Passover? If you recall, I mentioned that Moses was fulfilling a messianic role. And after the night of the Passover, the angel of death passing, you know, passing over the Hebrews as it killed every firstborn, Moses led the Hebrew people through the Red Sea and into a journey of the desert, a journey where God used Moses to purge Egypt out of the people, to purge out the culture and mindset of Egypt, to purge it out of the hearts and minds of the Jewish people. Moses was also the conduit for God to set up a new culture, priesthood, law, and governance. Then at the very edge of the promised land, God ascended Moses up into heaven in his mortal body, similar to what happened to Enoch, Elijah, and Jesus. When we are able to take a step back, we realize that Moses was a very crucial figure both in the Bible and in human history. What really impresses me is that this whole story with Moses, the Passover, the desert, the crossing over the river into the promised land, was an amazing prophecy about Jesus and his impact on humankind. But think about what I just said. A prophecy is usually spoken by one person, a prophet, inspired by God in that situation. But in the Exodus story, God uses people, lots and lots and lots of people, to foreshadow what will be in the future. Wow! Especially pointing to the firstborn of God, the Lamb of God, a sinless and blameless man, interpretation without blemish, was sacrificed. And a sacrificial man whose blood, blood that was 100% human and 100% divine, became available to cover those who accept him and whose blood protects those who accept his sacrifice from the death that is a consequence of sin. 
to me, the whole story of the Egyptian pharaoh ordering all the Hebrew boys below age two to be murdered, another exact similarity to the life of baby Jesus, to the burning bush, and God carrying his human body into heaven as one of the most amazing stories. The most amazing story, of course, next to the gospel story, and the life of Moses and the Jewish people pointed to the gospel. All that said, the burning bush was not the core of what I intended to focus this devotion on, but I took the time because to me, I still can't get over how God can use one man, or he can use entire people groups to not only shape the current events, but also can be used to point to the future and to give clues for those who are aware, to those who are open and listening much like the Magi who were open, watchful, looking for the realization of the prophecy. When they saw that star and they took that long journey to offer their homage and to worship the birth of the King of the Jews and the Savior of the world. But the term that I am going to use for this devotional is a version of the burning that is referred to as a longing. The word longing has many definitions and lots of slices within the spectrum of the meaning of that word. The world, okay, Miriam and Webster, defined longing as a strong wish or a yearning desire. The origin of the word is Old English, meaning to grow long, prolong, also dwell in thought and yearn. In its Germanic origin, related to the Dutch origin, was to present, offer, and to reach and to extend. Hmm. The concepts of these origins, especially the Germans grow long and the Dutch reach and extend, is intriguing to me. To me, it evokes imagery of a young plant reaching for the sun and yearning more and more for more sun. And it instinctively grows to make more leaves and to extend even more, longing for even more Sun. Especially during the early days of COVID, we all quickly realized that we took our freedom of fellowship with fellow believers and the ability to worship together for granted. Yes, we can worship alone at home or with our immediate family. We could tap into the nourishment of the Holy Spirit outside of church. Yes, with a focused intention. But it's not the same. There is an amplification that happens in the kingdom dimension in and around a congregation. For those of you who know my career, I used to shoot pro sports. And I can tell you there's times at an NBA game when there's 20,000 people or at an NFL game when there's 60 to 70,000 people all channeling their voices and their energies onto one point. The spiritual amplification is palpable. That energy flows through you. I can't adequately explain it, but every once in a while, something happens at a sporting event and you feel the energy of that crowd. Well, I believe when believers get together, there's also an amplification of attention and spiritual coupling. Something does happen while worshiping at church with all the intentions of the congregation focused on one thing, whether that be Jesus, God the Father, or the Holy Spirit. It is something that I feel internally and externally. Not every moment of every service, but something so special happens enough at church that 
During the week, living my day-to-day life, a longing builds up to go back to church, to worship and focus on God in and towards that spiritual connection. And the frequency of church going before COVID lulled us into, well, some of us into taking church for granted. I know I did. After the COVID lockdowns, it did not take too long for many of us, as the cliche goes, to admit that we did not know what we had until it was gone. So outside of the normal church-going frequency I had enjoyed, now I developed a deep longing, a painful longing, to attend worship with my congregation. And even this realization, the longing continued while the lockdown lasted for month after month. This is the kind of longing I am talking about in this devotional. Once the ability to satisfy the longing is removed, the longing deepens. Meaning when you're no longer able to go to church, the longing only deepens. I experience this personally very often. I would like to make imagery most times. Almost every time of the day I like to take pictures if I see something that catches my eye. However, when I'm up just before the dawn and I look east through my patio glass and I see the sky going off, my longing rises up to want to grab my camera and capture the sunrise. And the longing is painful if I know I have a commitment which will prevent me from picking up the big camera and heading down to a good spot. Once in a while, my longing wins, but I compromise and go to the backyard with my phone camera instead. But really, that's just a normal part of my day-to-day. The real longing I'm referring to is similar to the longing of wanting to worship with my congregation because I lived that longing during early widowhood and the roller coaster of longing I experienced before I found the cross. Then, in a different longing, during my time contemplating and shooting the cross, and especially after the realization that my ability to spend time at that site would never happen again. As I mentioned in the last three episodes, I used to have this longing to tap into that feeling and vision from the night my wife passed, searching for sunset shots on the eastern mountain range to stare and shoot west was something I longed to do. I'd pray and meditate and shoot, but that process, the first year of widowhood, was a bit laborious as I would drive 20 to 30 miles to get to the base of one of the roads up Spend another 5-10 to ten minutes driving up to find a parking spot, and another 15-20 to 20 minutes hiking around for an appropriate spot. But after I found the cross on that ridge, and during the third and fourth visits up there, I had a real breakthrough. I heard God revealing to me that all my searching for that half hour or an hour and a half of solitude at a sunset spot, and the answer to all my questions in the quest for peace, for the longing of my soul, is because of and would be found in the cross and especially in the message of the cross. After that, I had a new perception, and with the Bible in my hand sitting at the cross, I would imagine and meditate on every story and substory of the Good Friday account. And the epiphanies I received solidified my understanding that the cross was the center point, the bullseye, the meridian of the entire plan of history is and because of the cross. In other words, the cross is the central part of God's plan for humankind. And during that day that Jesus died there, there were so many truths in every moment. The one thing that jumped out to me was two words. When in agony, Jesus said, I thirst. 
I contemplated and sought to understand what Jesus was really saying. The Roman guards assumed he was asking to be hydrated, but I felt there was something more and deeper to this statement. I was in a phase of contemplation in that I felt every word spoken at Gethsemane during the trials and especially on the cross must have a universe of meaning and or lesson to each and every word. Mother Teresa of Calcutta founded her order, the Missionaries of Charity, from her deep understanding of the meaning of the I thirst utterance of the dying Jesus. It is reported that her love for Jesus began when she was at age five, receiving the Eucharist at age 12, and it was at that event that she experienced Jesus' own burning, yes, Jesus' own burning thirst for souls. It was also the same event in which she felt God called her to be a missionary. She was 18 when she joined the Loretto sisters being assigned a year in Bengal, India. After that first initiate year, she was assigned to Calcutta, where she served for 15 years. And on September 10, 1946, while on a Calcutta train, the 36-year-old nun says that she received a calling within a calling, or a call within a call. At the core of this calling was the burning thirst of Jesus for love and for souls. Mother Teresa said that she heard Jesus asking her repeatedly, Will you refuse? Mother Teresa did not, as she and all those who followed in the order. She founded the Missionaries of Charity, whose purpose was described by her as to satiate the thirst of Jesus Christ on the cross for, for love and souls. Wow, that's the type of longing I'm talking about. More than just a longing, but a burning desire. Like when you are truly suffering from severe hydration, your lips bubble up from being overheated, the corners of your lips split, and it burns your throat to swallow even a bit. And from my perspective, Jesus had an even deeper longing than any example I can come up with. All I know is that I do not want to be the one who will refuse Jesus. And I know that I am called to die to myself daily and to take up my cross daily. As Thomas Kempis wrote, I am to imitate Christ. And if I am to imitate Christ, then I am to long for love and souls. This is what I felt during those years up on the cross, that I wanted to share the peace I felt from God's touch when Verna died. I wanted to share the joy that grew out of that peace. I wanted to share this incredible, unconditional love I received from Jesus. Back then, as a young widower whose thing, my talent, was photography. I had a longing to share the gospel through the cross images and a longing to return to the cross and to spend time with Jesus, which for me involved a lot of time in silence, sitting and stilling my whole body down while staring at the sky and listening to what Jesus might have for me. I found that it is the deep quietness where we discover direction, wisdom, and peace. It reminds me of another interview with Mother Teresa, this one about prayer. The interview was with Dan Rather of CBS News. Mr. Rather asked, You say that you pray all the time. What do you say to God? Mother Teresa said, I do not say anything. I listen. A stunned Dan recomposed and collected his thoughts, then followed up by asking, Well, what then does he say to you? Mother Teresa quickly replied, He doesn't say anything. He listens. That seemed to have pushed the professional anchor into his own silence. 
and after an awkward pregnant pause, Mother Teresa helped him out by concluding, And if you can't understand that, I cannot explain it to you. I understand what she was saying as I lived that first paradigm during the sessions at the cross up on that ridge. Many times I was saying things like, Okay, God, I'm here. Speak to me. And then I would just wait. I never heard anything audibly. It was not a voice. It was more of a vision and or a recollection of a Bible story that popped into my head and heart. Meaning, as I'd be quiet asking God to speak to me, eventually I'd recall a scripture story, say, Peter walking on water or Lazarus being resurrected. And this is why I contend it is equally important to spend time reading the Bible. That way, God can use a biblical excerpt to teach you a particular lesson. This is the reason, I believe, that the Bible is referred to as God's Word, because He can speak to you through inspiring those references into our spirits. And so, through that, I became part of the message of the Gospel through my imagery that I capture and share. I'm still part of that Gospel message through the spoken Word and the written Word that I open myself up to be used by God through. And as this school that where the cross was at opened up, I quit shooting and threw myself into creating that first gallery show as a way to share the message of the cross with the world. To share in Christ's thirst and longing for love and souls. I'm still on that journey. But now, after I quit shooting on that hill, I made new places to spend time with Jesus. But that was fine. God was moving me into a new phase. He seems to do that every so often. One where I still ask Jesus to dwell in my heart, and through my prayer session, I ask to dwell in his heart, a place that I continually long to abide in daily, a place that replenishes me to share the gospel with those I know and all I meet in some significant way. If you are a Christian, have you been living this paradigm? Do you have a longing to imitate Christ, especially in his deep thirst for souls? If not, might I suggest you read the verses about that day at Calvary, and more than reading, to imagine and meditate on the sights and sounds and the words that were spoken on that fateful day. Then be quiet and let Jesus speak to you. Go and imitate Christ, who will abide in you as you abide in him. Go and be that shadow of Christ today. If you are not a Christian yet, I suggest you consider accepting the incredible sacrifice Jesus made for you. Read the crucifixion accounts in the Bible and ask God to refine your soul and heal your heart. And with that, go in grace and may God keep you in his perfect peace. Thanks for listening to What the Cross Means to Me devotional program heard every week here on KKXX Life Radio. If you'd like to view the image discussed, like this week's essay, The Burning, along with my other verspirations, then check out the Rob Holt Inspires on Instagram channel. And if your church, youth group, or school would like to learn about how to fundraise through the Cross products, hear about other Cross podcasts, then log on to roberholt.com. That is R-O-B-E-H-O-L-T.com.